All right, we are back for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. And man, I am so excited for this conversation. Um, last year, I came across some really exciting news around the world of nuclear fusion and, and around this idea of maybe a, a new frontier of energy. And I started looking up, well, who can I talk to about this? And so I went on Twitter and they, there's actually a, there's an entire page dedicated to reaching out to people in the, the world of uh, energy physicists and, uh, but it's for specifically for black uh, entrepreneurs and investors. And so I said, well, let me see, well, who do they recommend that I speak to? And they recommended our guest today, Ronnie Shepard. Ronnie, welcome to Black Equity Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. It's a pleasure to be here. Excited man, to have the discussion. <laughs> man, as soon as I saw your name come across my screen, I then went on LinkedIn and I reached out to you and you've been very kind. You've been open and I'm really excited to learn about you today, your journey. Yeah. And uh, hopefully have a, a long-term connection with one another. Uh, Ronnie, how did you get into this space? Um, I, I don't want to go back too far, but how did you get into the space? And how did your interest level get get you into that space? Yeah, I'm, I was, um, let's see, as a, as a kid, I always wondered how stars worked. I, I was fascinated by stars. And so that's kind of what drove my interest initially. I initially I was interested in, in just understanding why they why they twinkled, but mm. as it turns as it turns out that that you know that had nothing to do with the stars. It had more to do with our atmosphere as opposed to the stars themselves. But that's what initially drove my interest. Um, and uh, I was a little hesitant to sort of pursue this as a as a career, physics in general, and um, studying the matter that stars are made of, which um, ultimately, as, as you'll find out, that is, uh, that, that was, that's the core of understanding how to generate this new energy source. Um, I was hesitant to do it because, you know, I was like, well, first of all, it's not that many brothers doing it. <laughs> I was a little intimidated. Hmm. Um, so when I was in high school, I had my first physics class and, um, wasn't enamored by it. It was mostly easy. I, I would I don't say easy stuff. It was mostly what we call now classical mechanics, friction forces, that sort of thing. And, and that was to me kind of boring, but the next class I had was in modern physics. And that was fascinating to me. And at that point, I then decided, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pursue that as a career. Um, so I go to I go to school as an you know as an undergraduate, and once again, I was you know, as I said, I was a little intimidated because you know, like I said, it wasn't I was the only brother there, <laughs> I was the right, only right. person of color in the you know sitting in the classroom. So I was I was a little intimidated initially, but 
what I found was after a couple of years was that uh, the, all the students um, were pretty much the same. Everybody struggled with the same sort of things. There were a couple of exceptions, but pretty much everybody struggled with the same things. And I was no different than them. And um, I sort of built my confidence to the level to, uh, as an undergraduate, started working in a, in a laboratory, which focused on studying uh, this state of matter called plasmas, which is what stars are made of, stars and and ultimately, the process that takes place in stars is what people have been been pursuing for decades now to try and reproduce that same um, that same energy source on Earth. Uh, so, I decided to pursue a, a graduate career in that. I got a I got a bachelor's degree. Then went on and got a master's degree, and then and finally got my PhD. Uh, after that, I, I moved to where I'm at now, which is Livermore, and I have been now at Livermore for uh, let me see, thirty six years, I think it wow. is thirty six, thirty six, thirty seven years, something like that. And yeah. when you when you say Livermore, for those who may not be familiar, tell us a little bit about that. Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. So Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, um, they, or we do two things, I would say, uh, <laughs> we're known for two things. One is um, nuclear weapons. A large portion of the nuclear arsenal is designed um, at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. The other laboratory that does design work is, is Los Alamos National Laboratory. The second thing is what, um, what the article that you, you came across is nuclear fusion, um, which we do with very big, with the world's most powerful laser, world's largest laser. And that's where that result came from came from was this world's most powerful laser now those two fields have a significant overlap um the same process that produces energy from stars or in in stars is the same process that generates uh explosions in nuclear bombs thermonuclear bombs uh, and what people have been trying to do for decades ever since the first thermonuclear bomb was detonated was figure out a way of taking that energy source and producing that in a controlled fashion. And it's, right. it's, it's extraordinarily hard to do that in a controlled fashion, which is why it's taken so long. And um, it has been the promise of uh, a never ending energy source because the primary source of that energy it comes from the makeup of water essentially you can take the particles that make up water push them together together you get a bunch of energy out by fusing those particles together taking hydrogen turning hydrogen into helium when you do that you get a huge amount of energy release it's the same process that, that takes place in stars wow okay you said something earlier that I, I have to make sure we touch on. Mm -hmm. You said that 
uh, as you started studying stars, I believe, and please yeah. correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, yeah. that you found out the thing that makes up stars is plasma. Yeah, the fourth and, state of matter. And that particular, the things that are in stars, uh, would you you had no idea that uh, it would be something that people have been you know pursuing for years. Did I say yeah. that correctly? Yeah, it, it people people were pursuing converting that reproducing that mechanism that generates energy and stars on Earth in a right. controlled fashion. How long into your career did you find out? that the, this thing that I just have a natural interest in, I may be the one or two Black person in this space at the time. Yeah. How long into you just doing your natural gifts did you find out, oh, all these different industries or these different eyeballs are on this particular area? Uh, I actually found out pretty early. It, it okay. was, I would say... um I sort of discovered this, uh, it was probably my sophomore year in college. Okay. That this interest that I had in stars and understanding the processes that generate energy in stars was the same, had this, people had the same interest in reproducing this on Earth in what we call nuclear fusion. So uh, just out of, um, uh, to bring things a little more up to date, I, I know, you know, initially there was this, uh, this big announcement about uh, what we call break even, which is when you get as much energy out of that, um, those interactions as you put in to, to create them. But in the last, let's see, happened in December, mm -hmm there was an announcement, a bigger right. announcement. I don't know if you saw that on, on, it was on the news. It was, there was a, a big hoop, uh, hoop-de-do over it, but um, rather than just getting to what we call break-even, close to scientific break-even, they sort of did the next step and actually got more energy out than put in, which is a larger step forward. And it's still, I mean, it's still a ways to go before like I said, you'll have a, a you know Mr. Fusion, but right, but the progress right. has been pretty um, pretty steady and rapid. So the everything that I'm reading is saying that we're still a minimum of ten years out before yeah. you're going to see any true um, change that's going to alter you know the energy sector or alter anything. Do you think that is a a good timetable, or, or should we expect it to be even further out? No. There's a there's a joke in this field that uh, um, energy production from nuclear fusion is always thirty years away, <laughs> and that pe pe right. people started saying that uh, right. the first the first thermonuclear bomb was detonated in nineteen in the fifties, and people thought then said, oh yeah. We're 30 years away. And then 30 years later, people said, oh, yeah, we're 30 years away. So there, there's right. always been there's always been this, okay, we're 30 years away from success. I honestly never thought we would get to where we are right now in my lifetime. I think we are 
Um, I would say optimistically a decade away, but I would say, I, I think the light is now at the end of the tunnel where I think it actually will happen. When I was, I'd gotten to the point where earlier, I would say about 15 years ago, I wouldn't even say that long, maybe 10 years ago, it wasn't clear to me that we'd even get to the point where we are now before I, before I saw the next life. <laughs> right. But with the recent um, advancements, uh, I think, I think a decade still might be, it depends, I would say. Because the process and um, the techniques used to get to where we are now will not extrapolate to an actual reactor, a nuclear, a thermal nuclear reactor. There are more, um, more efficient ways that must be developed in order to get to the point where there will be a source where people are, um, we essentially have an infinite energy source and we are not worried about radioactivity or anything like that. I think, I think there, we have to develop a more efficient way of doing that. And that's, that's part of what's being done now. And that's one of the committees I'm on at the laboratory. That's what we're looking at. And for that to happen, we think it will probably be more efficient to develop these public-private um, collaborations because as a national laboratory, we are not really geared or designed to do that sort of transition. We're not, we're really got designed um, to do basic research, fundamental research to understand the processes really well but to take this to a step where people are actually, companies are actually making money from it, that's kind of not our thing. <laughs> you know, our thing is to our thing is to spend as much money as is required to to make a piece of science to find out if a piece of science is viable. Um, that's sort of what national laboratories do. Uh, things we take on research that that is not practical for. Um, for public or for a private in, a private organization to do, it's just right. not it's not just not practical for them to do it. National Labs, on the other hand, makes perfect sense for them because they have the resources of the nat of the government, right, right, um, with no goal of making a profit in the end, right. So I I think the transition into this next phase is probably going to require. Um, some input from private industry. And as I said, there are, and as, as I found out, there is a, there are a bushel of these companies now that have sprung up. Um, it's, it's funny because it's one friend of mine who left, just left the laboratory recently to join a private company. Um, his company, one of the, one of the funders of this company is Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> baseball player right. uh but they have uh i don't know they have several hundred million dollars that they're working on and 
they're one of the collaborators with uh, with the laboratory. As I said, as several, there are several other companies that are also trying to develop these same sort of collaborations. Uh, and and as I said, this is this is this is a long this is a long game sort mm -hmm. of you know this is not a short term invest and in two years later you expect it to be reaping profits. Right. I would say, as I say, it's probably going to be a decade because there's infrastructure would which would have to be there's just there's still more efficiency issues that have to be addressed first, and then um, things such as systems engineering has to be developed. None of those things exist, and they so, would they would be developed. And like I always say, correct me if you see a different perspective. They would be developed in order to harness many people are speculating, I guess, that it would harness mm -hmm. a different side of the energy sector in order mm -hmm. to not be as dependent on gas and, and oil. Um, am, am I understanding that correctly? Uh, I would, I, I don't want to sound uh, too. This would change how we live. <laughs> right. It would not only be not less dependent, it would be no dependency and the resource is infinite. I mean, it's literally in a thimble of water, you could you could power a city. <laughs> wow. That's that's how that's how revolutionary this is. Mm. So uh, it, you know, it's all based on that Einstein equation E equals MC squared. Mm -hmm. So you can take a little bit of mass and convert that mass to a lot of energy. Uh, so it doesn't take very much mass to, to generate a, a lot of energy. And the process of fusion, nuclear fusion does that. It just takes a tiny amount of mass. Um, the difference in the weight of two hydrogen atoms versus one helium atom, that difference in weight generates a, a huge amount of energy. Right. No. Um, even, even, even though it, you think about it, you say, well, two hydrogens is just you know, two positive charges. When you push them together, you make helium, which has two positive charges, but it turns out they have a difference in mass, a slight difference in mass. That mass, difference in mass, is what's converted to energy. And, and like I said, in a thimble of water, there are, I mean, there are tons and tons of hydrogen atoms in it. This is why it's so it's it's such a it would be such a revolutionary thing to simply be able to convert those atoms into energy. It it would be revolutionary. So here's my my where my mind went when I'm listening to where you're where you're taking me. Yeah. So why do stars need that much power? <laughs> what, is, what do why, stars got up their sleeve? Well, why why do stars need that much power? Um, oh man, it's what are they uh, doing up there, well, Ronnie? What do we not know about stars? Well, um, oh man, it that's a that's a that's a much more complicated answer. I know, I know, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
Well, I, I wouldn't say stars. It's hard for us to understand the scale of a star. Right. There are, I think there's something like the size of our star, the sun. I think it, the volume of our star, I believe it's like 9,000 Earths will fit inside of the sun, something yeah, yeah, like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, it, I, I, it, what does it need with all that? Well, it needs that energy for one to keep us warm every day. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> the source of life in, on, on earth is, is the light from the, from the, from us, the sun, our star. Um, but it's, it's it's so much more complicated than just <laughs> just generating energy for us. It it um it needs that amount of energy to sustain itself. I mean, wow. it, to keep to keep keep the furnace burning, it needs that amount of energy. In fact, everything that we know of you, I, your shirt. Um, everything in that room that you're in, in my room, everything that we know of comes from uh, the result of stars generating this energy and ultimately the material that you, uh, that we all live on came from stars, came from, came from stars converting hydrogen, helium, helium to lithium. You look at the periodic table, all those materials in the periodic table came from stars, ultimately from stars. So we cannot exist without that furnace burning. We would never exist without the furnace of, of any star burning and ultimately transforming hydrogen to the materials that we ultimately use in our everyday life. That's a great answer. I, I, I know I asked a complicated question, but man, you really, you broke that down perfectly especially when you're saying that stars need that power in order to sustain itself, to survive, to be a star. That is what yeah. it's almost uh, like a 360. Like in order to be a star, you have to have that much type of power in order for me to even consider you to be a star. Yeah. yeah it, 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 you, you have to have a, to sort of be a little technical. You stars have to have a certain mass to become a star. Yeah. Jupiter, for instance, is what is considered to be a failed star because it just wasn't big enough. I didn't you know have that. To have a, yeah, you have to have a certain size. Yep. The mass of, a, of an object in the universe has to have a certain size in order to become a star. So Jupiter was actually a failed star. It, it, never, it never acquired enough mass to compress the inner portion of of Jupiter, mm -hmm. compress it enough to push that hydrogen close enough together, those two positive charges, and start burning hydrogen into helium. So you have to have a certain mass to do it. But gotcha. Gotcha. once you become a star, at some point it dies, the star dies, often by an explosion. And all those materials that the star has made, all that matter that the star has made, 
gets spread throughout the universe, some of which, you know, like I said, becomes, becomes us. Carbon, which we are based on, comes from the inside of a star. It's the only way we know how to make those materials. Ronnie, earlier you said that you weren't quite sure you would ever see the point we're at now. Yeah. So what was that experience like when you actually saw it? What what type of feelings, any emotions, any ideas or thoughts that came over you during a time yeah. that you saw something you never thought you would see before? Yeah, I, when I say, I, I'm talking specifically about the announcement of this fusion. Of yes. This, this, so mm -hmm. we, we were notified on a Sunday evening um, the scientists at the laboratory were, uh, we were asked to attend a, a WebEx meeting. And then during the WebEx meeting, it hadn't been announced to the public. During the WebEx meeting, the results were discussed. Uh, what they'd seen, what had happened. <laughs> it was quite, it was, it was actually a little funny because uh, the scientists that were doing the experiment did not expect the results either. And so they fired, they fired the shot and the laser, the laser is in a, a very large building. You know, it's the size of three football fields. It's a huge facility. Mm -hmm. So they fire the shot and all the fluorescent lights went blew out inside of the building. And everyone was, no one understood what had happened. Uh, they then went and looked at the data and realized that the what we call yield, that is the amount of energy they got out from this, this one shot, was far more than what they had expected. They hadn't anticipated that much energy to come out. And one of the results of that was it it exploded all of the, the fluorescent light bulbs in the, in the building. Wow. And so they told us, uh, you know, like I said, we were having this sort of discussion on uh, what possibly could have been um, the conclusion from this and the preliminary results. And I was stunned, <laughs> I was just floored. I couldn't believe it, I was, it, um, I know the scientists that both performed the experiment and designed um, the experiment quite well. I, I was just, I was stunned. I was just couldn't <laughs> believe it. I just, um, I, I'm sure my reaction was was characteristic of what most of the other scientists had for a reaction. It was just none of us could believe it. It was just unbelievable. If you if you look at the progress towards fusion in the past over the past decades, you would see that the progress was steady but very slow. So they the yields would go from I'll just throw some numbers out. Um, it's not important exactly what these numbers are. The magnitude of the change is what's important. Gotcha. Fifty fifty. Um, 50 kilograms or 50 kilo, yeah, kilograms of yield, 50,000 kilograms of yield, uh, uh, 100,000 kilograms of yield, 
150, 200, um, 210, 230. And then, and this was over decades. And then this one shot was 1.3 megajoules of yield. (laughs) It was orders of magnitude higher than anything else that they they'd done so it it was it was phenomenal it was a fact in fact it was a factor of seven i've been saying kilotons and kilo kilojoules is what i meant um it was a factor of seven greater than anything that it had happened before and the, the progress in the previous years had been 10 20 30 percent you know something like that and this was a factor of seven so it was it was it was phenomenal it was astonishing so I was, I was floored by it. I mean, I, I, and we were, we were sworn to secrecy initially. We said, well, no discussions. Um, our management said, yeah, don't, don't have any discussions about this. We have to have verification. Um, and so it was probably about a week later, the uh, announcement was made to the public. Wow, man. Yeah, and so I was on the other side of that where the announcement came out and I'm watching from afar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even during this conversation, I've learned a lot. Hopefully we're not we're not too close to being done yet, but I've learned a lot. Jupiter, you know, being a failed star, I didn't even realize that. Um, but something else you said earlier about uh, Livermore, you mm-hmm. said that you're actually known also for the nuclear bombs. Yep. Yeah. Do you do you pay any t- attention to uh, when they're they're doing like a nuclear test in other countries, um, and how that potentially could uh, escalate into something else? Do you keep yeah. your eyes on that, or as a physicist, you you don't necessarily allow that to be? A distraction from your research? No, we, we, I, so I sort of sit in, um, I have a foot in each place. <laughs> I am also um, part of what pays my salary, part of what pays for my research uh, is the nuclear weapons program. Pretty much a, a, a large portion of the research I do not all of it, but a large portion of the research I do is just unclassified research. The research that I do is understanding the matter that um, that made up that that fusion device, that right. the first, you know, and the matter that makes up the, a, the star inside of the star. That research is all unclassified. There's nothing secret about it. It's really just understanding basic physics. Gotcha. But because that phase of matter overlaps with the same sort of matter that occurs in nuclear weapons, the nuclear weapons program pays for that research. Understood. Um, so to answer your question, do my ears perk up when I hear about nuclear uh, events taking place in other countries? The answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> and it's because the people that fund us, that pay for our research, their ears perk up and they begin to ask us questions. 
sometimes about the fundamental physics of other things that potentially other people are doing. Right. Sometimes it's about understanding additional physics associated with the things that we're doing. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's difficult. Those two worlds um, are are sort of intertwined at the or attached at the heel. It's almost impossible to separate them because the physics is exactly the same. Much of the physics. Um, the engineering is a bit different, but the basic physics, much of the basic physics is, is exactly the same. So with a nuclear, I'm going to try to ask a question the best way that I can to uh -huh. little fire from my mind. This, the same process that you would go through for a nuclear bomb is... Uh, I guess the same components of a nuclear bomb are the similar components. Uh, I wouldn't say that they're, okay. they're not the okay. same components. Okay. Um, but the the physics of con converting hydrogen into helium, um, that process is the same in a nuclear bomb. It's the same in this laser fusion thing that you know has gained so much attention. And the same thing in a star. Those that physics is exactly the same. Um, the components, the details are very different. Okay. How is how a star does this is by um, gravity. The gravitational pull. This is why you have to have enough mass to do it. You have to have a huge amount of mass to force. You know, positives want to repel each other. But if you get them close enough, they'll stick. Um, there's two different forces. The the force that's causing them to move away from each other is the, it's called a Coulomb repulsion. It's just it's the same thing if you take you know two positive magnets and try and push them together and they push each other apart. It's the same force. Mm -hmm. But with nuclear particles, if you get them within a certain distance of each other, there's another force that will take over and it's called the strong nuclear force and it'll cause the particles to stick together. Mm. But when they do that, when they do that, mm -hmm. they lose a little bit of mass, okay. which gets converted to energy. And that process, pushing these positive particles closer together, getting them to stick, the physics of that is the same, but how it's done is very different. Like I said, a star does this by the, just the gravitational mass, uh, enough mass. And this is, as I said, this is why Jupiter is a failed star. It's because it didn't have enough mass to push the particles together and cause them to fuse and start what we would call a nuclear furnace. But, you know, our star, the sun, is bigger. It has enough mass to force force the particles together and start the nuclear furnace to burning. And once things start burning, they bootstrap, uh, what we call bootstrap. The particles from that result or the energy that results from particles fusing together can then produce more energy by causing these other particles to push each other closer together. And so it all sort of bootstraps in. Love it. Love it. Um, thank you for correcting me there as I was. Oh, no, 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 it's, it's okay. <laughs> well, let, let, let me, let me complete this by saying that okay. the, 
the a bomb does that very in a very different way. Mm. It doesn't. You don't have mass. You don't have a gravitational mass to do it. So you have to force the particles together using other techniques. Um, other techniques <laughs> with the laser fusion, it does it by what's called uh, a rocket effect, which is the same thing that pushes a rocket up into mm -hmm. the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It does it by containing the hydrogen, or in this case, which is heavy hydrogen, it's thing called deuterium. It contains the particles inside a shell. And by heating the shell walls up, the shell walls explode. And when the walls explode, it causes an opposite force, which pushes the particles together and causes them to fuse. Uh, that's called the rocket effect. It's the same thing. So one of those things that you know, Newton said, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. That's what happens with nuclear fusion is you blow the shell off, or at least inertial confinement fusion, you blow the shell off and the speed at which the shell expands causes an opposite force. It causes a force in the opposite direction and it forces the particles together to fuse. So it does it, all three of those things do the same sort of physics, but in a different, they achieve it in a different way, three gotcha. different ways. Gotcha. And, um, you know, earlier, but before we had a chance to hop on the podcast, you know, I, I was telling you about the mission of our uh, podcast is to document generational wealth mm -hmm. and how it's going to impact all different communities. Do you think that this particular field in 10, 15, 20 years could potentially uh, create generational wealth for people who decide to get in? I don't know. Soon? Oh, uh, uh, no. I think this is going to be the case of the oral, ba oral barons. Those people that are in early are probably going to become mega rich. <laughs> uh, the, the challenge is this is not quite like the oil barons in that you know, people could go out and punch a hole in the ground and out came oil. Right. This is going to require long-term investment, but those that do it, um, they are going to hold the keys to the palace. Uh, it, there's no doubt in my mind. It, and it's simply because it's going to change how we live. It's going to, it potentially, it will mean the, essentially the end of fossil fuels i heard that um, yeah you believe that i think i think yeah i mean it won't be if you your house will no longer be powered by by natural gas i mean there yeah. will be more than enough energy from the stemple of water um right. your car if you had an electric car your car would be powered by the thimble of water. I mean, it would all, you'd plug it in and you'd all, it all be coming from that same thimble of oh, water. I see what you're saying. Uh, now, now you still will probably need fossil fuels for air flight because um, engineering has not caught up to the point where you can run an airplane on a battery. Right. But almost anything that runs on, on can run or be done with a 
you know, with battery power, it will now be all powered through the thimble of water, <laughs> this fusion reactor. Mm. And there won't be any worry about, well, okay, you know, is this going to run out? No, no, it doesn't. It's not going to run out because it's, you know, you got an ocean out there. It's got... <laughs> right. So, I find that and... interesting that even though you can harness the power, or that water is still involved in this. Like, yeah. it's almost like every time we turn around on this planet, we we end up saying, well, the answer is in the water. Water is, yeah. is nourishing us one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm being a little simplistic. Those of us, those that are familiar with the field are going to say, well, he's, he's oversimplifying. And, and, and then they're right. There are, there are certain details associated with this mm -hmm. that still have to be worked out. For instance, it's not, it's not hydrogen that you can use. It's actually what's called heavy water, which is deuterium. And in each thimble of water, you have, I think it's one in a thousand or one in a hundred atoms. It's actually deuterium. So you'd have to take the deuterium out of the water. But the other thing is that the other element that's used is, is an even heavier version of water, which is called tritium. And tritium is not so easily available. That's yeah. something you'd have to, what we call breed. Okay. But there are already people are all have already worked out scenarios to what we call breed tritium, which is the, the second element you use. So there are, I can say there, as a physicist, you'd say these are engineering details and engineers figure this, these things out and they do. I mean, they, right. they come up with solutions to these problems, but to a large extent, I think there will be very little, there'll be much less demand for fossil fuels once once this is worked out, okay. I can't see why there would be much of the demand for fossil fuel. Other than, like I said, there, you know, airlines will still need jet fuel, right. but um, the stranglehold that fossil fuels have on society today would, by and large, be gone. So, how do people, in your uh, recommendation, if they're looking at this particular industry? How do they uh, enter? How do they invest? How do they partner with a laboratory like yours? What are some of the uh, avenues that people should be considering? Also, so what I would say is that um, I, I if if I had money <laughs> and I was interested in investing in this, there are there are the problem right now is that there are several paths to take. There are this is one. I would say of late, this is the most successful path forward. That is inertial confinement fusion, which is what the big announcement was based on. But there's a huge program um, around what's called magnetic confinement fusion. And uh, there's a reactor, a real reactor being built that at least Currently, it won't put energy on the grid, but they're actually building a reactor based on magnetic confinement fusion in France, okay. uh, in, the, in the Bordeaux region. Um, I, I think that process, it's probably still, probably several decades away still, because they still haven't gotten to the break-even 
results that this other process has gotten to. Right. And then there's some other there's some other process. There's a there's a there's a company in England whose name I've forgotten, who claims they are going to have energy on the grid in a decade. They are literally saying we, you know, we're we're working on energy, putting energy on the grid in one decade. I think I saw that. Yeah. I so I you know when 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 people make those sort of bold claims, at least physicists tend to be skeptical about mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um but that they're using an entirely different process. They're okay. accelerating plasmas towards each other and causing fusion. There's a group in Washington that's doing a sort of a similar thing. They're they're using sort of an accelerator concept. They're saying also that we're going to have energy on the grid in you know 10 or 15 years. So I, it's challenging to figure out which one of these is the most promising. <laughs> uh, if I were I would probably not put my eggs in all in one basket. I mm -hmm. would probably diversify those energy sector dollars uh, amongst several of these. But after doing some careful research, because um, like I said, there, there, there's probably 20, 25 companies out there now that are all pursuing the same thing. And it's almost like the gold rush, or I would say it's more like when people were trying to initiate flight, you know, they had all these different ideas, you know, there are people walk, you know, they're flapping, flapping their arms. There were people trying to do, there are all sorts of different concepts out there. Many of them are well-founded. Some of them are well-founded, but it's not clear which ones, which one will ultimately win. And I would say, I don't know which one will win. <laughs> the thing that we have done at Lawrence Livermore is sort of it's what's helped drive a lot of this interest towards fusion industries in general because this is the first time you've had an experiment that generated more energy out than you actually put in uh, so it's unique in that aspect but moving that from an actual research platform which generates more energy than you put in to looking at, well, the big question is wall plug energy. How much wall plug energy is required? And that means not from the physics of the laser putting energy, excuse me, into the target, but the energy required to drive the laser itself. Well, what we call wall plug energy, that efficiency is very low. So that's why I say, I think we're at least a decade away from that. That's right now, it's like 3%. Um, you got to get that up to, uh, you know, that that number has got to be over, you know, you have to get more energy out than the wall plug energy before you can build a successful reactor. And that's right. not at that point. Right. Now, with us, the technology that was used to, um, generate the result that that was you know that ended up all over the news. That, that technology is twenty years old, so a lot of people believe that it won't be much trouble improving that efficiency dramatically because the efficiency of the lasers are, is much greater now. So, uh, all of this just to say that I don't think it's. I guess if I had 
if I was an investor, I would not probably put, I would not put my eggs in one basket. I would probably distribute them amongst several of these concepts. Um, probably because it's not clear who's going to get to the finish line first and whoever gets to the finish line first will probably rule at least, at least initially rule the day. Gotcha. Uh, Ronnie, before we head out, and yeah. thank you so much for the wisdom that you're providing, because this is actually a space I will be very interested in mm -hmm. studying more and potentially investing in. Did you, by happenstance, ever get a chance to watch The Man Who Fell From Earth or Fell to Earth? Uh, I'm old and I'm old enough to have seen the David Bowie version. <laughs> okay. Now, I don't, I didn't watch the David, Bo David Bowie. Did that one have anything to do with your field? Uh, uh, this see, one I, did. And that, that's why I'm asking I, about it. I honestly, I honestly, I can't remember much okay. about it other than I know David Bowie was an alien. It came, ended up on earth somehow. Yes. <laughs> that's all I can remember. Now I need to go back and actually watch his version. But I turned on and I, the name of the actual actors I don't have in front of me right now. But mm -hmm. the name of the, the show is something to the effect of The Man Who Fell to Earth. And it was on Showtime. And I think they've done oh, one yeah. season. I and remember. Yeah. Now, it was recommended to me to watch. And this is a little bit actually after I reached out to you. So I turned oh, it on. Okay. I had no clue what the show was about other than some guy who fell to Earth. <laughs> right so within like the first 30 minutes maybe i start hearing about well theirs was a little different it wasn't nuclear fusion it was nuclear fission oh yeah fission is is when you take big atoms and split them apart okay and that also will generate energy but okay. not as much as doing the opposite thing taking small atoms and pushing them together okay well, in their, in their particular world, in that particular show, to them, that was the cure-all to everything. So uh, maybe, uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying the, the words right, but I was sitting there watching the show, and I'm thinking to myself, ain't this something that this show came out just a little bit before the announcement that you all made, and I'm sitting here watching the show, and of course, it's big, It's it's uh, the story isn't all about uh, the nuclear fission uh, uh -huh. aspect, uh, but you know, it's really more of like a love story. But uh -huh. it plays a huge part of what drives the story. And I'm just thinking to myself, there's no way that's a coincidence. <laughs> all this is happening, and then they are on the brink of saving the world through anything with the word nuclear in it. Yeah. Do you? Is that something that you would be interested in watching now, knowing that that's in the story? Yeah, I'd be interested, and in, I'm I'm gonna have to go back and yeah, check it out because I was, as I said, it's probably been. Let's see, I saw that movie when I was, I think I was in graduate school, so that that had to have been like forty years ago. <laughs> so I had no idea about. Time. I had no idea about the movie, and then I watched the show, and then at the end of the show. I started looking up all these different reviews. They're like, yeah, this is a continuation of that movie. I said, well, I need oh, to go right. back and okay. watch the movie. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd definitely be interested in seeing it. It's on Showtime, you said. Yes, it's on Showtime. And if, yeah, you get, okay. if you get a chance, I'd love to chop it up with you again 
whether it's on a podcast or not. Yeah. Uh, because I think, I don't think it was a coincidence that I schedule a call with you or this podcast with you. Uh-huh. And then this out of nowhere gets recommended to me. And basically it's about all these different, they're talking about how powerful stars are. Basically our conversation <laughs> is. I, 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 yeah, I, I'd love to watch it. I, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm definitely going to have to watch it. And yeah, we should, we should try to, like you say, chop it up uh, yeah. after I, I, I look at it. Yeah, let's do that for sure. It, yeah. it, it blew me away to see when they, I'll, I'll give just a, a tiny spoiler. They get they go to another country to present what he has found. Mm. He's he's figured mm. out a way to harness this power. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. um he they go to another country. And at the time, by by him having his uh like a model, uh it wasn't the full thing, it was a uh a small sample of what could be. A demonstration, sort of yes, right. Yeah. It knocks out the entire, I think this is London on the show. It Uh, knocks out the entire grid. There's no power because it uh, all has to now be harnessed Uh to his uh, thing that he has in front of him. (laughs) And But but then when it it does harness, then it lights up everything. Uh, Right? It's like, so the places that were dark before now get even light, you know, get light uh, as much as the, the great places that have light. It was just a, you know, it's a, it's a TV show, and I know it's, you know, uh, graphics and all uh, that uh, stuff. <laughs> but it was mind blowing of the concept of how powerful yeah. this, this thing could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I, I definitely have to check it out now. It's, it, it's, it's, in some sense, it's very similar to potentially what you know nuclear fusion would would end up being. It's mm-hmm. something that even for countries that have small you know, no resources the energy potentially could be um so cheap that anybody could have it because it's as i said it's it, it it originates out of just out of water i mean so ronnie i just thought about something could this even the the playing field you know how we have these countries out there that have their their yeah. third world countries. Yeah. Could this be one of the ways that you could even the playing field to a place that doesn't necessarily have as much resources, but yeah. with this particular power, they could actually sustain themselves and build up cities or whatever they choose to build up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's possible. Um, the the key is. A fusion reactor is not going to be cheap to build regardless. Right, right, so right. someone's going to have to build the reactor. But once the reactor is built, potentially, you know, you know, it's going to be minuscule to run it. I mean, it's like I said, it's not going to be extraordinarily expensive mm-hmm. once it's in operation. So, yeah, I mean, I could see how something like that that could happen is that, um, you know, say, Countries that have limited resources get the investment of building just one facility like that, and it you know it powers it powers the majority mm-hmm. of the country. Man, that's powerful. So, hopefully, we'll have an opportunity to have a part two or just a, a private conversation. And I really want to hear about your thoughts on the show that I'm recommending, and then of course mm-hmm. any new developments uh, that transpire between now and then. 
for people who are interested in fusion and uh, potentially partnering, uh, how do people reach out to you? How do they connect with you? And uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. Yeah, if you're interested in fusion itself, you can email me uh, at shepherd, S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D, the number one at llnl.gov.gov. And if you're interested in partnering, I can um, I can certainly give you some information on companies that we're looking at to partner with to move forward. Uh, and as I said, there's a um, there's a laundry basket of companies that are sort of pursuing this space. So, and then and if you're interested in just fusion in general, not necessarily even the companies that we're partnering with, I can also give you some uh, information on other companies that are using different approaches as well. So yeah, I'd be happy to provide any information that uh, that would be useful to the community. Ronnie, thank you so much. This has been eye-opening, uh, to say the least. You've taught me so much. Thank you for the wisdom. And man, I'm really excited to see where things go the next, well, you know, the joke is 30 years, right? <laughs> <laughs> let's hope it's not that long. Let's see. Let's see. Let's, well, let's hope it's only... Let's hope it's only a decade. This Even time. if things get going in a decade, yeah, you still want to see, well, how does that impact things for the next 20 years after? Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and, it's, and I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that we end up getting, meeting the community gets into this, you know, into this space because, uh, as I said, I think it will change, potentially change how the whole world will live going forward, so. Wow. Wow. Nice. Ronnie, Ronnie, I, I thank you so much for taking the time out because we both know how important this conversation is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people uh, in media don't necessarily get this message to us all the time. Yeah. And so uh, I'm honored that we're, you and I were able to get this message to, I just think about maybe a, a 13, 14, 15 year old kid who, yeah. uh, you know, is, has really big dreams, really big ideas. They may pick this up and say, you know what, I can do something with this now. If if that happens, then I think the job has been done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. Thank you, Ronnie, so much. Yep. And, My uh, pleasure. You and I will stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely.